Welcome, and thank you for joining Speak Up for Safer Care. Speak Up for Safer Care is a product of Safer Care Texas, the patient safety division at the University of North Texas Health Science Center in Fort Worth, where it is our mission to challenge traditional thinking to eliminate preventable harm. Speak Up for Safer Care illuminates gaps in care, process, or design that leads to preventable harm in all healthcare settings. I'm your host, John Sims, Director of Safer Care Texas, and joining me is our co-host, Leanne Cunningham, Strategic Operations Assistant Director. Good afternoon, John. Thank you. And our guest today is Diane Connery. Thank you for joining us today, Diane. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. So this episode is uh, Rural Digital Literacy. And Diane Connery, she serves as the Pottsboro Library Director and is responsible for implementing nationally recognized rural placemaking activities. Her emphasis is serving as a community catalyst. Through a series of community conversations, a cross-section of residents discussed their aspirations for the town. The theme that emerged from those conversations resulted in the development of an organic community garden, a library of things for circulating non-traditional items, and pilot programs for esports and telehealth. The Pottsboro Library supports equal information access for all. And with that, Diane, is there anything else about your wonderful background that I missed? Uh, I, I think that gets it. I just, as you're talking, I often wonder how I ended up where I am, but I'm loving it. It's uh, definitely a passion project for me. And there's so many neat things going on through our library and in our community. Sure. Can I just interject that you're a great collaborative partner for Safer Care Texas as well, and we're lucky to have you joining us today. Thank you. We could not do what we do as a small town library without partners like you. You know, it's getting kind of scary. Leanne and I work so closely together that she will take words right out of my mouth. And I'm not just saying that. I was I was literally about to say that. So thank you, Leanne. And Diane, um, she's, she's right. I mean, you... You've been a collaborative partner in large part because you you get things done. You know how to knock things over, climb over, dig a hole under, whatever barriers to help the community. And we just, we love that. Thank you. Well, let's get started. So tell us, and I know just from what you were saying about your background that you're, you're just itching to talk about this, what brought you to the city of Pottsboro? I could sum it up by saying I wanted a view. And Pottsboro is on the shores of Lake Texoma, beautiful lake. I live up on a, a bluff overlooking the lake. I look out at Oklahoma. So we're about an hour and a half north of Dallas. And how it came to be is I had been working as a corporate trainer for 10 years. The company restructured. I felt at loose ends. And so I wanted to just change. And so uh, we moved here to this small community I didn't want to get involved with anyone or anything. I didn't want to volunteer or work. I just wanted a view. And here now I am. Now you run a library. <laughs> yes. <laughs> wow. How inspiring. So you just you just you came here just because you wanted a view and I have to say you've kind of created your view since you've been here. Yeah, yeah. We um I, I was able to attend a, a board meeting at the library. A neighbor invited me and the library was getting ready to close. It was all donation, all volunteer. 
And uh, I just saw so much opportunity, so much potential and so many needs. And I figured worst case, the experiments wouldn't work out, but I thought, well, it was going to close anyway because they were running out of money. And so that's just provided a lot of freedom to experiment. Everything's a beta test and innovate. Yeah. And like I said, you've, you've done a great job with that. And what, I mean, what could you lose? It's going to close. Let's do what we can to make it better. Exactly. So what inspires you about uh, rural communities? It is. It's definitely a culture change. I lived my whole life in large cities. Most recently before moving here, I had been in Dallas for about 25 years. And well, I'll start with what I miss. I, mi- I miss decent drinking water coming out of the tap and I miss good internet. That being said, the things that I have gained, it is a sense of community. Everybody knows everybody. Our town within the town limits is about 2,500 people. All together in our zip code is about 7,000. But a lot of those 7,000, they're weekend homes. People buy lake houses here, and then many of them eventually retire. But Because we are so under-resourced, the services, the products don't exist here. Our nearest town, we drive to Sherman's about 30 minutes away. We have to work together to get things done. And one of my first introductions to that was we have a volunteer fire department here, volunteer EMT. And so one incredible woman in the community had started this event called the Boot Scootin' Ball. It is literally in a horse arena, and a horse arena is transformed into tables and chairs for 800 people, and they raise like anywhere from 150 to 200,000 a year in that single night, and that money goes to our EMTs and um, fire department. Wow. Yeah, it, it's really like we all work together. And and I had definitely never experienced when I was in, in Dallas going to the post office to pick up a big package and the postmaster carrying the package to my car. But that happens here. Mm-hmm. That's neat. That's neat. Yeah, I guess we do, you know, have an access to, to the Internet and all the technology right at our fingertips. It kind of... Yeah, you have to be purposeful about interacting with people and helping out in your community. So if you don't have those things, you know, then then you connect and you work together better. Awesome. Yes. And working together, um, a large part of that is I know I'm going to see the people at the grocery store and at the football game and everywhere else. So if you get crosswise with someone, uh, you better work it out because you're going to see them again and again and again. Not like a big city, you could avoid someone. Wow. Yeah. Good point. So Diane, I know when we first met, you told me a little bit about the services that your library provides to the community. Would you share what services you provide with our listeners? Yes, it's a lot. Um, Buckle up. Uh, uh, My particular interest is digital inclusion, and COVID has really brought that to the the forefront. And for those who aren't familiar with the term digital inclusion, they talk about it as a three-legged stool. So it is you need connectivity, you need access to the internet, but you also need devices 
And you also need the digital literacy skills to know how to work those things. So through grants, um, we've done some really innovative programming. We had the first public library esports team in the nation. And, you know, I, I learned about connected learning. So I, I saw these kids without an internet in their home and without computers and just wondered how would they ever be on a level playing field with their peers um, once they got out of out of school. And so Connected learning is, all right, let's draw them in with esports, something they love, and then we'll, we'll kind of support the skill building behind it and the resources. So we have digital navigators now through a grant, which um, our digital navigators help people with those three legs of the three-legged stool. We have a drone program, virtual reality, 3D printers. When COVID started through grants, we um, set up throughout town, outside of city limits, three neighborhood access stations. So those are basically like permanent hotspots. People could go to the tackle shop or to the volunteer fire department or a convenience store so they could access the internet through those. Uh, now we have um, in the parking lot, we put up a 35 foot internet tower we check out um, routers to people. So if you live within a mile of the library, you come here, check out a, a box, looks like a small suitcase and take it home and you have the, the internet. Emergency connectivity funds through the ARPA funding. First round, we ask for $36,000 worth of devices. And specifically, we've gotten tablets for older adults. We will check those tablets out to the older adults for three years, and then they belong to the people. So they never have to check them back in. The second round, we've asked for $7.5 million um, to put up really tall towers around the community and around libraries and telehealth. I'm talking to you now from our, our telehealth room. So that's kind of our digital inclusion, but library of things, we check out non-traditional items. Um, most popular pressure washer, carpet cleaner, but we do bikes and canning equipment, tools, tables, chairs, outdoor games, people check out their birthday party here at the library. Um, and we've actually had one wedding as, as well checked out from our uh, library of things. And you mentioned the community garden. We have a, a, an organic community garden. A master gardener is here at the library once a week for two hours to answer people's questions. And we have a seed library and we provide after-school snacks. So they just told me yesterday that there were 15 kids ranging in age, probably from 8 to 15, who spent the afternoon, Sunday afternoon here yesterday and felt comfortable helping themselves to snacks in the kitchen um, and learning opportunities. Lots of, of training we provide. Everything from we did a graphic medicine class, which was fascinating to me. I knew nothing about it in advance to emergency training. So Office of Emergency Management came here, did an intensive nine week course in how we can be second responders, because in a rural community, 
um, sometimes the sheriff could be an hour away. So we have to know how to be self-sufficient and take care of ourselves like the, the freeze of a couple years ago. Oh, and we check out books too. <laughs> <laughs> you are a one-stop shop. Yes, we are. Now, I, I, I have to ask, in this one-stop shop, how many people help you pull this off? That's a lot of things a lot of services, if you will, to provide for the community. It is. It depends. We have two wonderful boards, Friends of the Library and then the Governance Board. And so people pitch in with what their strengths are. I always want volunteers to be um, volunteers and not voluntold. I mean, so uh, we had a, a fabulous luncheon recently. And then we have uh, partners like you all who make a lot of this happen because it's it's a lot for um, one or two people to do themselves and we we couldn't do it without the help of others. Well, you touched on digital literacy a little bit and you talked about many improvements being made to the community. What impact can we expect from those improvements? You know, it just it, it, people used to think of of the internet as a luxury and now more and more I, I think daily it becomes an essential thing you need to survive uh, through, well, telehealth was a good example. Um, when the pandemic started, uh, people would say their doctors did not want them to come in to the office because they were too high risk. And so we would do appointments here. We've also got the fastest internet connection in town. So it's, it's online banking, it's getting driver's licenses, prescriptions refilled, just uh, getting jobs, getting benefits. Uh, we we offered a class um, how to make your house into a smart home because we have an older population here, and you know I I serve as a remote caregiver for my mother who's in Atlanta, Georgia, and ninety one, and I could see how if I could set up some electronic support. Alexa, that kind of thing. It would help me keep an eye on what was going on. So we done things like that. And one of the interesting projects we're working on now is a grant. It's a federal grant that when COVID started, the realization that so many people in rural areas don't have access to the internet and the school shut down. So what do these kids do who are home without internet. So University of North Texas wrote a grant um, for rural communities to explore educational content that families would create and then put it on the radio. Um, so, so that content is not only created by the kids and caregivers, but now it will reach back to the rural community. So I have, an, I have another question. It actually is kind of a two-part question. You've mentioned limited broadband access. So prior to COVID, what venues did the rural communities do to receive their healthcare information? What did they use? Well, I think, and another thing, let me add this on too, in rural areas, transportation is another barrier to service. Absolutely. So, no, there's no public transportation. There's no ride sharing here. 
either. And so even getting to a healthcare provider is a problem. So I think of the way a lot of people do have smartphones. So um, many people would go probably to social media a lot of the time to get their healthcare advice, or it might be um, word of mouth and not always reliable. And then came COVID-19 and a collaboration with you and HSC, and we brought forth a telehealth medicine room, correct? That's right. I am aware through conversations with others that this is carrying forward under your direction. So touch on that for us, if you will. That has, um, it's almost like a, a spider web. It's really interesting to see it evolve because when we started it, I could understand the library end of things. Oh, we need a private room and we need an internet connection. But I didn't understand the other half of the equation, you all, um, and how, you know, how do we prevent double booking two patients in the room if everybody's just making their uh, appointment? And so through a series of meetings, we created the logistics and the disinfection protocol and and all of that. Uh, but I think that grew into an interest in public health in general. So now it's expanding beyond telehealth. Um, and I've been in contact with um, health science researchers and and all sorts of groups, other libraries across the nation, in what this looks like. And I've become particularly interested in digital health literacy. Um, so how do we help people access um, mobile apps or patient portals or email or telehealth those sorts of things so that they'll be able to, you know, have have that fair and equal access to healthcare, just like everyone deserves. Certainly, Diane. And, uh, you know, access to healthcare is, uh, to me, is a pre- it's a preventable harm. If you don't have access, then whatever disease it is or injury that you have is going to get worse and worse and worse until you, you know, you show up at an emergency room. Um, and so that's extremely important. And Pottsboro, being a retirement community, there's a you know, a large geriatric population. So, what barriers do you anticipate improvements in digital li- literacy will help this population? Well, one of the, the interesting things to me that I had a realization was that people. Uh, older people who are not using the the internet now, or may, I shouldn't even say older, maybe maybe any age, who are not already using the internet, sometimes they don't understand what the benefits are of connecting. And so, you know, rather than people just all being anxious to to learn how to do it, sometimes it's a sales job and an informational job to explain to people what benefit they would have. And it's different motivations um, for different people. I think, you know, for a lot of people, especially with social isolation, it may be this is a way that they could connect with grandkids and friends and families in other places. So I think one of the things we did recently, we worked with the University of Michigan, their School of Information, and their students did an aging in place survey in our community. And we talked to people about what kind of services 
are you interested in? You know, is it just technology classes? Is it um, how to have your home ready so that if when you need a wheelchair ramp, that kind of thing? A lot of the feedback, I think the, the highest response rate was that people actually wanted social interaction opportunities with one another. So when we're planning our digital literacy training now, we first try to um, it to, to really see what are their motivations, why do they, why might they be interested in, hook them with that, and then we can go beyond that. Uh, we recently became licensed as a senior planet licensee in their subdivision of AARP. We went through training of what kind of training approach do you use with older adults? What's more effective or not? And what kind of topics? So um, that's something we're working on. A lot of it is hesitation with some people is that knowledge that if they don't know yet, or the thought that if they don't know yet, um, they just understand like why even bother to learn because it's just going to keep changing and changing and it's overwhelming to people. And so one of the things we work on is trying to teach digital resilience. How do people kind of learn the concepts without being extremely, you know, platform specific? Because things do change. Great advice. So we have heard that digital health literacy is quickly becoming that social determinant. So do you anticipate it being that jumpstart effort in digital literacy and improving digital literacy? I do. I A few weeks ago, I was able to attend the Wisconsin, Wisconsin Health Literacy um, Conference, and I was thrilled to see the, the areas, the different fields that people came from who were attending that conference. So there were educators there, there were hospital systems, a library, National Library of Medicine, and it was so clear that we are all working towards the same goal. Um, and so let's work together. The, the saying about um, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go farther, uh, go, go together. together. Yeah. And so I think that uh, hopefully is what is happening and we can build on each other's work with this. Collaboration is key. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, that is uh, what you just described is something that I think, well, I know that the healthcare really needs to, to work towards. And I mean, there's a lot of communities that can work towards that, you know, not doing things alone, but working together so that we can impact more people. Um, we've talked about a lot of, um, of your initiatives, and I, uh, maybe it's just me, but I think I've heard before, Diane is a mover and a shaker. She gets things done. She's great at, uh, at executing projects. So other than the ideas that we've uh, talked about today, what, what are maybe some new ones that you're, that you're thinking about? Maybe you need, you're soliciting more partners to kind of help you work through. What are some other great things you're trying to do for your community? Saturday was a great example of a training. Through a grant, we've hired 15 teenagers to be digital navigators for older adults, specifically for older adults. And they've had two sessions of training on how to use the technology. This third session was a simulation lab in empathy building 
for these teens? What is it like to try to learn digital literacy if you have vision issues or hearing or mobility? And uh, through Safer Care Texas brought some, some eyeglasses and they simulated what is a moderate hearing problem sound like when you're in a restaurant, all those sorts of things. And I was so pleased to see how engaged the teens were. And that is part of a bigger picture I have, because now they will be better teen digital navigators, but they're also learning some job skills. And this could develop as a workforce thing for them. So they may be exposed to areas that they've never been exposed to. And and plus just showing up on time and, you know, filling out a W-9 and those kind of things, I think is informative. So I'm really interested in how live libraries in particular, since that's my field, how libraries across the nation can help older adults learn the skills they need to learn to be able to, to live their lives. Um, so that's, that's probably the most realistic thing. I'm also looking at telehealth, being able to do some outreach to senior care facilities, kind of a mobile lab to take it out to the VFW or American Legion and then probably a little further in the future, I, I'm interested in uh, driverless cars, autonomous vehicles. Um, wh- how is that going to impact rural areas? Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, I see the technology. I, boy, driverless cars. That uh, <laughs> I want them to work out all the kinks first. Yeah, may- maybe that will fall into some preventable harm in there somewhere, John. <laughs> Gosh, don't say that. Uh, well, you know, you are definitely a visionary. It's just hearing you talk, you were always thinking about the future and and not like necessarily your future, but the community's future. And I just applaud that. I, I wish there were more people like you. Thank you. Thank you. It is a pleasure. Usually I say about 96% of the time it's fun. The other 4%, let's not talk about that, but yeah. it's a very small percentage on the scale. Yes. Sure. And you are such a, such a godsend to the community. Bless your heart. For real. You're a great collaborative partner to Safer Care Texas. I'm waiting for the phone call or the email so that we can collaborate again. We look forward to that. And I want to thank you, Diane, for being here today and sharing your knowledge and expertise with us. And I want to thank all of us who joined us today and listened to today's podcast. Please help me in my shout out to our technical producer, Rob Upchurch, for getting our podcast up and running. Speak Up for Safer Care is a product of Safer Care Texas, the Patient Safety Division at the Health Science Center in Fort Worth, Texas. We are calling you to action. So speak up for Safer Care. If you're a healthcare worker, counselor, subject matter expert, former patient, or a caregiver, and you have a story that you would like to tell, we invite you to be our next guest. Please contact us through our website, safercaretexas.org, and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn at Safer Care Texas. We'll talk again next week. Thank you for listening. Thank you again, Diane, for joining us today. And remember, speak up for safer care.